Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today we're going to look at the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany. Now I've been sharing with you for weeks now that the Epiphany is a date that's always on January the 6th. January the 6th. And it celebrates the coming of the Magi. That story is found in Matthew chapter 2, where the Magi come from the east, the star, remember, that stops over Jesus's home, and they offer him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, Epiphany, the season of Epiphany, is about the appearing of Jesus to the Jews and even to the Gentiles. So, Jesus is born on Christmas, in the Christmas season, and we celebrate his birth. And in the Epiphany season, which comes before Lent, we celebrate his appearing. We have been looking at several scriptures in the Epiphany season, and this week in the Old Testament, we'll continue our study of Isaiah. And in the New Testament, we'll be looking at 1 Timothy chapters 1 through 6 from Paul, Paul's letter to Timothy. And then finally, in our gospel reading, we continue our work with the gospel of Mark. So let's start in Isaiah chapter 62, verses 6 through 12. Now again, to remind you that we are reading the daily lectionary on a daily basis, and you'll see in your program, the scriptures are listed beginning with Sunday, which kicks off the week, and Saturday, which ends the week. So every Sunday is a new week. So in Isaiah, we're looking at 66, 62 through the last chapter, which is Isaiah 66. Let's look at the scriptures. This is from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, just a phenomenal book, and uh, written about 700 BC. Verse 2, chapter 62. Verse 6, I'm sorry. I have posted watchmen on your, on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest, till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, verse 8, never again will I give your grain as food for my enemies. So <clears throat> God has a special relationship with Israel. He speaks to them through the prophets. He speaks to them through the people that he's anointed as king, as leader. In Judges, of course, he raised up leaders. And of course, he had a king. They had a kingship. Uh, we have uh, Saul, then David, then Solomon. And he's talking to them as one would talk to a friend or one would talk to someone that they're acquainted with. And so when you read the prophets, you want to hear what the Lord is saying to them at that time, contextually. And then you want to listen to those words as directed to you. What is God saying to us? Verse 11, the Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. 
Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. The Savior, the Messiah, is coming. Now, Isaiah is very famous concerning the Messiah, particularly in the um, chapter 53, where it talks about Jesus, never names him, but the Messiah is going to be the one uh, that is going to die uh, for us. And we see that in chapter 53. Verse 12, they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. God is going to take care of his people. 63, who is this coming from Edom, from Borzra, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forth in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Okay? God is also active with his people. God is always, is always, he's acting, he's moving toward them. And one of the great things that you and I can remember as Christians is to respond to the Lord as he moves towards you, as he makes an advance toward you. You want to relate to him. You want to move toward him. You want to uh, lift him up. You want to praise him. You want to glorify him. You want to thank him. You want to lift him up on high. Continuing on in chapter 63, verse 7. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord. That's a good thing to do on a daily basis. The deeds for which he is to be praised. According to all the Lord has done for us. What has the Lord done for you? And of course, he's talking about this time, 700 BC, approximately what God has done for them. But the kindnesses of the Lord and the deeds for which he is to be praised according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the mighty good things he has done for the house of Israel, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. So the key here is for us to celebrate and know the compassion of God, to appreciate the kindnesses of the Lord, to envelop them, to embrace them, for them to be part of your life. Chapter 63, 15 to 64, 9. Look down from heaven and see, verse 15, from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. But you are our father, though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. Now, one of the great understandings of the Holy Trinity with God the Father being the first person of the Holy Trinity, is that God is our Father. And of course, he defines it right here in 63, uh, 16b. You, O Lord, are our Father. You're our Redeemer. So to call God Father, Lord, and Redeemer, very, very important. But look what he says in 17. Why, O Lord, do you make us wander from your ways? and harden our hearts so that we do not revere you? Great question. Why do we wander from you? Do you make us wander? Do you make us harden our hearts? What kind of relationship do you have with the Lord? How do you relate to him in terms of following him? Let's go to 64 through verse 9. You who, uh, verse 5. You come to the help of those who get, gladly do right and remember your ways, who remember your ways. 
can't give you better advice today. Go and do right. Go and remember the ways of the Lord. Remember the ways of the Lord. Do the ways of the Lord. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. So if we're going to sin against his ways, that's going to cause lots of problems. He says, how then can we be saved? Verse 5. Well, the answer, of course, rhetorically is you can't. If God abandons you and you do not do what God says, then you're in very serious trouble. Now, Isaiah 64, 6 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible regarding sin. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of us. So every person is sinful. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. That's how serious sin is. It sweeps us away. And our righteous acts, the things that we think are so important and great, are filthy rags. Okay? Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. Back to that idea in verse 8. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are the work of your hand. If we are the clay and he is the potter, that's a great point to remember. And we need to remember that. If we think we can reverse that, or think in any way that we can do our own thing, we are sadly mistaken. Great words from Isaiah. All right, let's a couple more chapters. 65, all good. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me, verse 1. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. It's interesting. The revelation of God to those who did not seek for him found by those who did not seek me. Verse 12, I will destine you for the sword and you will all bend down for the slaughter. For I called you, but you did not answer. See, it's important to answer the Lord. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Now, you can learn a lot from the second half of 12. One, God's going to call you. You got to answer. Two, God speaks, but you got to listen. We all got to listen. Three, you can't do evil in the sight of the Lord. Four, you're going to displease the Lord by choosing to do things that are not right. So don't do that. Find out what is right. Find out what pleases the Lord and do it. 65. Now, 65, 17 to 25 is about the new heavens and the new earth that he's going to create. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever, verse 18, in what I create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. So God is doing a new thing. Now, this is extremely important, this chapter 65. Because we like the idea of God doing the work. If it was up to us, we'd be in serious trouble. And finally, chapter 66. This is what the Lord says, verse 1. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house you built for me? Where will my resting place be? 
Has not my hand made all these things so that they come into being? Everything that you see, God has made. Give him the proper due. Give him the proper worship. Give him the proper praise. Last great point in Isaiah. Enjoy your reading this week. Chapter 66, 2b. This is the one I esteem. So God is saying, okay, here's the kind of person I look up to and, and, and take highly, take seriously. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That person has a fear of the Lord, is humble, and is contrite. Now, you will not go wrong if you have those attributes. You take the word of the Lord seriously, which means that you read it often. You are contrite. You are, you have a state of heaviness and seriousness about your sin. Remember Isaiah 64, 6. And finally, you are a humble person. Digest that. First Timothy. Paul's letter to Timothy. Now, Timothy was an extraordinary man. You'll see that for those of you that read the book of Acts. And he's writing to Timothy. This is after 2 Thessalonians. And we have some wonderful scriptures today. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, so what he's going to do this week in this um, season of Epiphany uh, 6, the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, we're just going to read through 1 Timothy, okay? Let me just point out some good verses for you to be aware of. And I hope you enjoy these scriptures also. Verse 5, chapter 1. The goal of this command is love. Well, that's a good goal to have, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now, having those three can't get better than that hardly. Your heart is pure, your conscience is good, and your faith is sincere. Wow, I love that text. That is one of my favorite texts in the Bible. We know, verse 8, that the law is good if a person uses it properly. Do you know how to use the law properly? You don't want the law to condemn you. You want to support the law and learn from the law in a way that enhances your spiritual life and blesses your life. Verse 15, chapter 1. Here's a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am the worst. I'm the worst. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to save sinners. He came to save you and me. So what we want to do, remember I talked about humility from Isaiah 66. We want to submit to the Lord. We want to be contrite in spirit. We want to tremble at his word, it's his word, and we want to be humble. We want to and we want to repent and we want to say we're sorry. Okay. Um, now there's a praise in 17, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, let's go to chapter two. This is good, verse three, and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants you to be saved, and God wants you to know the truth. Do you, are you, do you have those two commodities? Are you saved from your sins? All of us are polluted. All of us are sinful. And 
Do you have a knowledge of the truth? For there is one God, verse 5 of chapter 2, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Okay? Good scripture. Moving right along to chapter 3. He's talking about overseers and deacons and leaders in the church in chapter 3. And we go to chapter 4. The Spirit says in verse 1, chapter 4, that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. There'll be a tendency to wander away from the faith and to substitute the truth for something that's false. Be careful. This is why I stay with the Bible. I don't come out with any crazy stuff in terms of interpretation. I try to keep it very simple and keep all of us directed on the text. I'm not trying to tell you something that it doesn't say, and I'm not trying to satisfy my own desires to have it say what I want it to say. I just say what it does say. Okay. He says in chapter 4, verse 7, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Takes training. Takes a lot of effort. He says that physical training is some of some value, no doubt, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So it's not only good for this life, it's also good for the next life. Whereas physical training is only good for this life. Verse 16 of chapter 4. Watch your life and your doctrines closely. You can, you can use that scripture for the rest of your life. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Back to widows and elders and slaves in chapter 5. Enjoy that reading. And in chapter 6, we have the love of money. We have the love of money. Godliness, verse 6, with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Chapter 6, verse 10. It's a root of all kinds of evil. It's not the root, but it is a root. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I hope you're blessed. I hope you're generous. I hope that you're not stingy. I hope you have offerings for others and bless others with your abundance. You hope you'll bless the Lord out of your abundance. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness, verse 11, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then he just goes through that great last chapter through verse 21. And he shares with us the way that we're supposed to live. I could read the whole thing to you, but you can read. Read it slowly. Read it carefully. Think about where you are with these scriptures. They're very, very, very powerful. They're very significant. So there's a lot to think about so far. And we haven't even gotten the gospel yet. Mark chapter 11. All right, let's go to the gospel of Mark, which is the second book. Matthew, Mark, then Luke, then John. Matthew chapter 11. Okay, let's go to it. 
the triumphal entry. Jesus has to go to Jerusalem to die. That has always been God's plan. He's been traveling around the area. He's coming from Jericho, and he finally gets there. In the liturgical calendar, we celebrate this date for Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Okay, you, I'm sure, heard about Palm Sundays and the waving of the palms. Now, what's going to happen in chapter 11 and 12? Jesus is not going to die immediately. He is going to spend some time before his death, and he's going to do some more ministry in the area of Jerusalem. He's going to have lots of problems because he's going to continue to challenge the leaders about what they're doing before the Lord. If you look at the second half of chapter 11, he's clearing the temple. That didn't go well. That didn't go well. His authority is questioned at the end of chapter 11. They arrived again in Jerusalem, verse 27. Jesus was walking in the temple. The chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. Why, what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you that authority? Who gave you the authority to do what you're doing? And so he says, well, can I ask you a question? Um, if you answer this question, I'll give you an answer. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Is it something God was doing? Is it something we're doing? Human beings. Well, they said, hmm, if we say from heaven, then he, then Jesus is going to say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people. Because John was highly thought of. He was a prophet. He said, well, we don't know. Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. I've said several times that there are many challenges in the scriptures regarding Jesus's ministry when they engage in a conversation with him. Another good example, chapter 12. We have the parable of the tenants, a scathing indictment against the Jewish leaders who would not listen to the Lord, would not listen to the master, and they killed the heir in verse 7, who happens to be Jesus. It's not going to go well. It's not going to go well for them because they've rejected him. So those of you that, I wonder what's going to happen to the people who reject Jesus, the parable of tenants. Paying taxes to Caesar, one of the cleverest sections in the Bible. The Pharisees and the Herodians in verse 13 are trying to catch Jesus in his words. In, in his words. Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. Um, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, if he says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, then that's terrible. If he says you should pay taxes to Caesar, that's terrible. Why are we supporting that government? Oh, you're not supporting that government? Jesus' answer is brilliant. He knew their hypocrisy, verse um, 15. Why are you trying to trap me? Which was their goal. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought him a coin. Whose portrait is there? Whose inscription? Caesar. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. That principle is still great today. Give God what's his. But what's Caesar's, give it to him. But make sure God gets what he has. The marriage of the resurrection, again, Another tete-a-tete. -tete. 
you know, if, if, if this person marries this person, this marries this person, it's crazy. And then finally, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, verse 31. And then he has the final, uh, on Saturday, we have whose son is the Christ. Well, he goes back to a scripture, a psalm, which is Psalm 110, verse 1, a very famous psalm, by the way, quoted in the uh, New Testament many times. And they ask, how can this be David's son? And Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces. They have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour women's houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. So you'll see as we enter chapter 11 this week, he goes to Jerusalem and then eventually they're going to kill him. And he takes them head on and he's not afraid of them. He's not scared of them. He takes them on and he deals with their issues. Lots to think about this week. Lots to learn. Jesus' interaction in his last days. Paul's fantastic advice to his tremendous helper and friend, Timothy. And then the closing chapters of Isaiah. And God is just continuing to speak to us through that fantastic book. Enjoy your reading. Next week, we'll be looking at the last Sunday after the Epiphany. God bless you.
or she can either get back in the game or sit in the sidelines. Now, my guy won as Bishop. So, but what Kathy Hewlin's going to do, I don't know, Tony. She's, she's, we'll see what she does. I don't know. I'll say this, between me and you, I don't think she'll be here in three years for sure. And probably, maybe two, but not three. That's my guess. And then we'll just see what the parish wants to do in terms of what, or I've got some ideas about our next assistant, but we'll see.